0: What's up and welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nocer from aclearmind.com. All right, and welcome to episode number 53. As always, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this episode, whether it's your first one or if you've tuned into to some of the other episodes with some amazing and incredible athletes and other professionals as well, all, of course, with the hope of supporting you to better support your athlete. Now, this episode is with a legend of water polo. His name is Tony Azevedo. He is widely known as the best U.S. men's water polo player ever. Tony was born in Brazil. His dad is a legendary Brazilian water polo player and coach. So Tony was born in Brazil, but he moved to the U.S. when he was very, very young and grew up in Southern California and, of course, excelling at the water polo sport as a youth player, high school player. And eventually went to Stanford and starred at Stanford as well for their water polo team. He was actually the four-time winner of the Peter J. Coutinho Award. And that essentially is the Heisman Trophy of water polo. So imagine a Heisman Trophy winner for four years. Just absolutely incredible. Tony also played in five Olympic Games, including winning a silver medal in the 2008 Games in China and Beijing and also won five gold medals in the Pan American Games, eight world championships. I mean, as you can tell, it's just an absolutely incredible water polo player, incredible athlete, and really, it was a pleasure to speak with him in this interview, and he, of course, breaks down his career. We talk a lot about water polo itself, for those of you who don't really understand the sport too well, and he talks about what he's doing to help younger water polo players right now, and he has some really amazing and interesting technology that he is using to help youth water polo players. Now, as always, I'll leave you with some of my takeaways at the end of the interview where I tie in some of the things that really impacted me the most. And again, it's always with the intention of providing you support to help your athlete. All right, enjoy. All right, Tony, thanks so much for being here today. You know, we're recording this during the coronavirus experience we're all having. So, you're in Southern California. What have the last seven months been like for you? Um, it's been a whirlwind. You know, I mean,
1: when I retired, right, I started Six Eight Sports, which is with Maggie Stephens, kind of, uh, you know, a, a tech company trying to bring smaller sports out of out of the woodworks, and, um. But in the time in the time being, it was all clinics, it was all camps, right? And all of a sudden, you shut down pools. What what am I going to do? So yeah. the first thing we started doing was Zooms, and I was doing like Zoom spring break sessions. I was doing, I mean, Zoom mentoring. I, I've never been on a computer more in a, in a collared <laughs> shirt and a speedo doing jumping around <laughs> outside. <laughs> like, um, but it was you know it was great because. What happened was, Maggie, unfortunately, the Olympics were canceled and Maggie Steffens, my partner and I, we just buckled down. We started getting together, started focusing on really where our our company wants to go, what we want to do with this sport, why this works with other smaller sports. Um, And we've just grown like we've never grown before. And we're in a very, you know, awesome spot right now and uh, hope to continue it.
0: That's awesome. So what exactly is 6-8 sports and how could you do water polo over Zoom?
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) so, you know, 6-8 starts, Maggie's number was six, mine was eight, and it's all about earning your number, right? We remember Ah. kids always asking, you know, how did you get to choose that number? And it's like, no, man, you earn whatever number it is to represent your country on the team, right? You have to earn the right, I'd, I'd be any number. I was given 8 and then I made 8 a number that hopefully kids aspire to be but you know you got to earn that right to 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 get to the top um and one of our biggest one of our biggest starts was how can we start to bring in you know the the objectability to help parents understand where their kids are at and what you see in these smaller sports is that you know, a, a parent doesn't understand water polo or maybe field hockey or maybe lacrosse because they didn't grow up playing it. So they're dependent on the coach. Well, in the smaller sports, unfortunately, there's just not that much coach education. There's not the greatest communication with sports. And of course, there's politics all over the place. So you see so many kids not achieving their dreams because you know, a parent just thought that coach, you know, he's doing everything right for my child. Well, that kid didn't even know how to egg beat. That'd be a, the equivalent of not under, not knowing how to jump in basketball. Like you're just not going to make it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we created kind of like a combine on helping kids, parents understand where their weaknesses are and giving them tons of videos on how to improve it. And then the big part of what we do is really, we're taking all the analytics, everything big sports have, and we're using it. And I get, you know, I get this, you know, does 12 and unders need analytics? No, of course 12 and unders don't need analytics. We as a sport need analytics. So we can start seeing trends and people can look back and say, oh, Tony at 10 years old, this is what he did at 12. This, is, this was his path. This was Maggie's path and not just keep making it up on a whim. And now it's like, it's just a joke, man. I probably played 30 to 40 games max a year. I would say 30 Kids are playing in the 90s now, and we wonder why they're all in and wow. can't move.
0: Wow. Why has it increased so much since you played, since you were that age?
1: Well, I, I think in general in sports, it's just the parents have gone involved as far as they really care about their 10 and under championship, that medal, even though
0: we all yeah. know that
1: doesn't matter when you're 10, 12, 14 years old. And so what we've done is gone away from fundamentals and making sure kids are doing it right, making sure mentally they're, they're not burnt out. They're being taught the value of sports so that when they're ready to get crushed (laughs) and play too many games and, and be yelled at, they have all the base and the foundation to grow into what they want to be. And now it's like, well, there's more money for these federations for, these companies if there's more tournaments. So let's just run as many tournaments as we can. Well, everyone's making right. more money. The coach makes money on a tournament. So let's just do that. It's easier to play over a five-day period than to teach uh, practice. So let's just do that. And that's the wrong mentality.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very similar to soccer. There's so many events now because it's a moneymaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something I've gone back and forth with Uh, you know, with our, in our company is like, how do we change the mindset? Right. What do we, what do we do to help, help these kids and parents understand, like, don't just jump ship on your club to go to a better club because that club's winning. Like go to a club because there's a great coach teaching great philosophies. Right. And coaches need to understand they're not, their job is I get it. And they're under pressure too. But their job is not winning, they're a teacher. Their job is to help every kid that they teach be successful. And then ultimately, if that's the case, you're gonna be on top of a mountain, my friend, instead of, you know, you win a couple championships, all those kids amount to nothing, then you disappear.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing for me, I'm a soccer guy, I can see a lot of parents, just like you mentioned, who aren't educated, to the to the degree that they need to be. And when a kid takes a shot, and it can be a horrible shot as far as technique, but it'll go in and the parents are all cheering and I'm me, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, yeah, I went in, but the technique was horrendous and that's not going to be good for them as they develop. So I, I imagine you kind of see the same thing. And does your app kind of help players with that aspect of technique?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all technique. And it and it creates this kind of structure where you shouldn't even be able to go to the next level until you pass these certain, until you're really good at these certain movements, right? We've gotten so into age, everything's based on age, right? You're nine and under team, the 10 and under, the 11 and under, and it's like, and then parents want to push their kids to the upper level. Look, kids at some kids at a younger age are gonna be better than other kids, but ideally you, there, there has to be, you have to pass through certain basics to go to the next level, right? And a lot of times we jump those basics and that inhibits us from being great later on. And I, I really believe, and that's one of the things that we're working on, like there's your crawl. Your crawl is your foundation, man. That's something that you, all of you need to be good at to get to the next level. Then there's your walk aspect, which you don't have to be great at all of them, Obviously, bigger guys might be better at other things, smaller at other, but you need to understand them and then run is when you're at that top level. We mm-hmm. so many of us just you know forget crawl and then get try to get right into walk and run because that's the games, but you're right. the technique's terrible and it's not mm-hmm. just it's not just the parents, like you said, I see that hundred percent, but it's even the kids where I tell them to be a great shooter and, I, and tell me if this is the same in soccer but in, in my sport, to be a great shooter, you have to re- have repetition, which means I catch the ball, I hit a corner upper right, upper right, upper right. Now, if I'm doing that 20 times you know, every practice, eventually shooting the ball upper right is going to be easy for me. And then you work right. on upper left, and then you work on lower left, and then eventually you have this plethora of shots because you've worked on them. Well, what our kids do is they just care about scoring. And if you just care about scoring, then if you have a goalie who blocks up left, then all you're going to do is shoot right and you'll never learn how to shoot left. Right? right. And if you have, don't have a good goalie, good luck because you'll never
0: be good. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I see that. I do see that a lot in soccer. And one thing, what I, I tell players, like, look, there's a difference between shooting and finishing, Shooting is just kicking the ball and expecting or hoping for it to go in, but finishing is understanding the technique it takes to put the ball where exactly you want to go. There's a major difference between the two.
1: That's right. So, I mean, that's the idea. If you can get yourself comfortable basically putting the ball where you want to, now you're at a level where you're starting to read a goalie. And when you see that opening, you can put it in that opening because you've repeated all these shots throughout the goal but you're right i mean just it's almost like get up throw it as hard as i can and in our sport we have this skip where it skips off the water and when it goes in you're all happy but in a game guess what that choppy water isn't your friend a lot of the times and that ball's going all over the place
0: exactly yeah so uh, technologically how does the app help somebody does the athlete take a video of themselves and it somehow breaks down their technique and what they need to improve or how does that work exactly?
1: So there's a couple ways. So one of the ways is just an athlete will go through these, these seven water pole specific drills. And then they'll, they'll, they'll be able to see where they stand with kids from around the world. They'll get a ranking, right? If you're not where you should be, then they're, they're given tons of exercises uh, to work on that technique, to better that technique. Um, and then the second part, we have a game desk, which is like an, an iPad that shows in all games, what you're doing. Um, and so it's, it's showing your assists, not just goals, which everyone cares about now, your assists, your turnovers, your blocks and where you're shooting, where you're missing, like those spots as well. So now we can start to see a trend as to why, where kids are missing, What is the best plus or minus in the water? Because when all of a sudden we're doing this and we've started to do this on some of the games, we're seeing that, well, that kid who scores four goals, he's not as high as that other kid that has a plus or minus way above him. Well, that's because that kid had three assists to him. He had four shot blocks. He had five earned ejections, which is way more valuable for the team. Um, Mm. Just trying to open their minds as to – what it is to be great. And it's, and, and it's not just scoring, right. But the technique part on the app for us is, is key. There are tons of videos on the exact technique. And again, you right there get to challenge yourself every day and say, I'm 5,000th in the world. I got to work on my legs. And here are a hundred videos on how I can work on my legs.
0: Hmm. It's really interesting. So who's breaking down the video for these athletes or is it automatically broken down? So
1: the, it's not the, there's no video of breaking them down. That, that would be, that's actually something we are, we will have in the future, but right now Mm. that's more of a personal note. Hey, look, I'd like to come to one of your sessions and help me personally. And we have a camera Mm. and we film them and break it down right now. It's just physical drills. And you can see in the water, what's beautiful about it is you can see glaring um, mistakes right away. So one of our drills is holding up a medicine ball for a 10-pound medicine ball for as long as you can. And we had a kid, an older kid come in, and he's been playing for four years, just a stud, right, big right-handed center, and all of a sudden he... We, and I'm not even at this camp. He holds the ball for four seconds. Okay? We have 12-year-olds who hold the ball for 20 seconds. So immediately, I get on a phone call with his, with his coach and say, what's going on? Can, can you film him? Well, we fe- he wasn't egg-beating correctly. We found out wow. that there was a, a uh, problem in his hip a year later going to doctors. He fixed it. Now he's holding it 45 seconds. I know he's a good player. I know he's better. Right. And that I didn't even have to be there to see it. So those are kind of some of the things that in the water we can see glaring differences. Um, and we know those issues so, so they can work on.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. You know, my, my daughter was a water polo player and I would watch her training (laughs) sessions and I was just amazed at what they had to do physically. I mean, they wouldn't touch the side of the pool for like the first hour, and they're holding up those five-gallon water jugs and have to wait for the water to empty out. It's just incredible <laughs> strength.
1: I know, I know. We, we started this um, academy as well where we chose 10 boys and 10 girls. And we uh, basically like a military academy. They are online schools and we train them every morning, gym, uh, mental trainings at night, um, virtual reality trainings, which we've started. And it has been so awesome seeing how how, uh, how they've progressed. And it's just so, it's so nice because we're not a team. We don't care <laughs> if you, we, right. we don't play anyone. We don't care if you We're focused on the individual. So it's, it's been fun hearing the feedback from the kids are like, well, this is cool. I'm not being yelled at to go to that position or it's like, it's all about the actual individual visual and what we can help them do to be the best they can be and go to the college they want to go to.
0: Yeah, it's essentially focusing more on their journey, not their destination and results, which is what we should all be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, without water, you know, going back to the Zoom question, what were how are you able to help these kids out with Zoom calls?
1: Well, the big Zoom, the Zoom things that we did, I mean, at the beginning was like workouts, I'd give them ideas, I'd break down film with them. Um, so things like that, you know, I had a thing where I called them the COVID generation. I said, they're going to be the smartest generation yet because all these kids have been just playing mindless scrimmages and games and no one's ever broke down film. And now all of a sudden they're stuck at home and they're getting broken down film by myself, my dad, Maggie, you know, uh, some great ex Olympians that are just in teaching them why these movements are happening and not just watching a water polo game, you know?
0: yeah Uh, that's fantastic yeah it was
1: cool and and so now what most of what uh the zoom sessions we we do is 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 more on an individual basis and it's more about you know the mentoring aspect of where are you okay here are some of the things that you need to do yourself what schools are you interested in is that a reality is it not a reality um and just trying to be that voice for the kids again it's so hard in water polo to even understand like, what, like, can my, is my kid good? Like we win here, but I'm from (laughs) Texas. Right. Or or is, is my kid, does he have a chance to play at UCLA or not? Like I, I, as a parent, a lot of times it's the kid that I'm calling, but it's the parent in the background just going like, just tell us like we spend so much money and people keep telling us like, yeah, he's good. But if he's not like, tell me what I need to help him do or just tell me it's not a reality. And we can think of plan B, C or maybe another sport. Right. But it's, it's just, there's so much, again, there's just not enough information out there for the kids, for the parents. And so that's, that's what, what we do. So I'll, I'll tell a kid, Hey, look, I I've seen you. I know you. Show me some video. Here's what I think you need to work on. Come back in a couple months. If you've done that, then let's talk about the next step, and then we can start building a, a plan um, as to to how we can make you the best that
0: you can be. Wow, that's awesome. I I wish you know this was around when my daughter played because she was uh, seemed to be good. Again, I I didn't know, so I just kind of I said she's a good swimmer she's aggressive. So I said, like, let's put her in water polo and see what happens. And she ended up making the ODP team just after a few months. And I'm like, okay, like that's as a soccer player or a soccer coach who coached ODP, that's just totally foreign to me that somebody who's only played for a few months would be on the ODP team. <laughs> but then she started doing well. And one, one thing the coaches, her region coaches, uh, told me, was that she was aggressive and that's something they didn't see very often in girls. And, you know, that's coming from New Mexico and the mountain region. Is that true everywhere with girls? Is it true in Southern California? Or is that just because of where we were living? Man, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, these girls are pretty aggressive. (laughs) That's that's what I figure. (laughs) So maybe it was just based on where we were living then, you know, they just didn't see that very often.
1: Yeah, you know, and a lot of times, you know, aggression, Um, it it is it is nice, though, though when you do see, because on the guy's side, you definitely see aggression, like across the board, uh, mm-hmm. while on the women's side, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see a lot, and I'd say way more than half, but you will see a lot of the, the timid type. So if there is, a, if, you know, someone will stand out if they're going for every ball, if they're if they're really trying to get there because you go, okay, they love it. They're, they're passionate about it. Now let's help with some of the techniques so they don't get kicked out. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. She definitely went through that, okay. uh, that <laughs> for a while there. Um, you know, my first, one of my first questions as a water polo parent, I went up to the coach and I said, what is a foul? Cause sometimes you barely touch the player and it's a foul. And other times they're drowning the player and it's not a foul. So can you tell people who aren't water polo people kind of what the difference is and how referees will call those things?
1: No, I can't because,
0: <laughs> because I don't know. It, it, it's, it's w- the worst thing in our sport. It, it,
1: the day we get rid of the fouls, the day our sport sports starts growing. It's like, I mean, the reality is <laughs> you and I we're both Brazilians, you know, we, we know sports. Well, you're going to see something a little differently than I am. That's just, we're we're we are different right Mm -hmm. and until we have these black or white rules the fouls range you know vary from referee to referee so poor kids they show up to a game and you get a referee that doesn't call anything because where he's from that's how it was well now you have to figure out how to play the game without (laughs) and when someone's killing you and no one's calling a foul then another you, a referee just calls fouls at a laziness every second. Well, you've been taught great defense, and, and you can't even play your great defense because they're just bailing them out with fouls. So it, it, it's something that we, we need to fix. Um, I actually teach at, in our academy. We play a game three-on-three, four-on-four, even six-on-six, six, where every foul is a penalty shot. Oh, Because wow. I, don't, I don't want kids to, to foul because that's easy, and I always tell them my grand my grandmother is 97 years old, and she could get in the water and foul somebody. Because all she do is grab you by the neck, and that's called a foul. She can't not foul you. <laughs> that's impo- like it, that's so hard. Two hands up, attacking the ball, staying away, waiting to hit the arm. Um, and I think that's where the game should go, almost like a basketball. You 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 would see way more grace when you're strategically waiting to steal that ball or or hit that arm instead of just just drowning somebody. And for me, as one of the smaller players always in the sport, all they did to me when a referee allowed it was just kill me. They would foul me really hard every time. Um, and it just made the game, you know, unfortunately, suck for me and suck for the fans. But yeah. the real rule is a simple foul, meaning you're putting your hand on top of the player – uh, and pushing them down a little bit is a foul, um, while if the, you aggressively hit the head, go over the body, or are behind the player, then that becomes an exclusion or a penalty foul.
0: Mm. Gotcha. Do you feel like that aggressive play ultimately made you a better player, though?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. But it, you know, I was never aggressive because I was too small. Like, I guess I, I, it depends what ter- what you what you use as aggressive, right? Like for me, I I look at aggressive as like I'm gonna just I don't care I'm gonna blow through you to get that ball. I was always crazy competitive, so you hated guarding me, and and you hated when I guarded you because I was just that fly that wouldn't stop. I wasn't going to hit you. I was not a dirty player, but I was extremely into every single moment of every practice and game, um, getting, trying to figure out how to get into your head, trying to steal every ball. Um, but as far as aggression, I, I, was never, I, I literally played five Olympics, you know, played for 30 years, and I never got a brutality, never hit a kid um got hit a decent amount but my reaction was always all right now I'm going to score on you that sucks more than getting hit
0: right what kind of stuff is going on under the water <laughs> typically like what's what are some of the worst things people have done to you
1: um so it's I mean it's funny look obviously there's always the 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 rumor of ball grabbing in water polo right <laughs> um and the reality is I never had my balls grabbed in 30 years. Uh, Neither did most of my teammates. There is that dirty player from a team uh, that grabs you, but it usually happens to the center because in every other position, your hips are up and there's just no way for them to grab you, right? Usually you see that happening at lower levels where they're, they're able to grab you because everyone's vertical and there's not a lot of movement. And then you get one bully and boom, there it is. Um, I'd say underwater, the worst thing would, would be just a knee to the sternum
0: <laughs> Ooh <laughs> had a, had a
1: little, little rib out of place for one of those. Um, and then again, you're taught to swim with your head up, right? So your head goes under it's open game, but usually it's always above water. My biggest injury is I got three broken eardrums.
0: Oh, oh, from the ball or no
1: from elbows and mm-hmm. <laughs> and accidental but you know they make these ear guards they're so pathetic i mean talk yeah. about how we haven't evolved in 30 years to make <laughs> an ear guard that actually is comfortable and protects the ear the ear yeah. I, the most injuries that I've, I've seen and i'm not even joking our sport has come from the ear guard it's either broken the drum it's cut the ear it's cut the face it's cut the fingers it's like you can't, we can't make something out of a softer material yeah yeah
0: and my daughter would always say she could never hear the coaches or her teammates because of the ear ear block or ear protection
1: yeah. and it makes you uh mute so
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally wow um so i want to backtrack quite a bit into your history now i i Your dad is a legendary water polo player and coach from Brazil. So I don't think I have to ask why you got into water polo, but tell us, you know, for people who don't know your dad's story and even your story, you know, why don't you let us know a little bit about both him and you and, and your sister as well?
1: Yeah. So my, so I grew up, um, playing multiple sports. My, my grandfather was drafted to the Pittsburgh Pirates in baseball and then, uh, got drafted in the war and, and got injured and never, never uh, ended up playing. My mom was very athletic. She's probably one of the reasons I, ha- I have athleticism. <laughs> my dad is all, all the <laughs> technique in my head. My mom is the, the, the genes in the family. Um, mm-hmm. But so we grew up playing uh, multiple sports and, and probably when I was 14 years old, I was a, a ball boy in the Olympics as my dad was the assistant coach then. And that's when I saw Spain win the gold medal. And I said to myself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be an Olympian. Um,
0: mm. what, what Olympics was that? That was the
1: 96 Olympics.
0: In uh, Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, wow. you know, I'd played before, obviously, because my dad was coach, but it, it was all fun. It was never, I never played it thinking like I'm going to go to college on it or I'm going to be a, a, an Olympian. I just played it because I my dad was a coach. And then, so I did that. I did baseball and I did basketball and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, when, when at 14, it was like, all right, that's it, Dad. And a good friend, Ken Schroeder, I said, I, I want to be an Olympian. I want to go to the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Um, what do I got to do? And he's like, you're short, you're fat, and uh, you're slow. <laughs> <laughs> literally like that i'm like oh,
0: some motivation you
1: know, right there. <laughs> so we set a plan you know we set a four-year plan with little goals my grandfather used to call me tony 2000 and probably two years later is when i got invited for the first time i was not slow anymore i was not overweight anymore i was still short but now i was quick and smart and fast uh and when i first got invited i i, I never i never turned back. Um, and went to my first Olympics at 18. And, you know, my sister followed. She was a great volleyball player. She unfortunately had kind of a heart um, issue on land, but for some reason in the water, it never affected her. So she would run or she would jump. And even today, if she does a hard workout on land, she starts feeling faint. Um, But she could crush herself in the water all day long (laughs) and be fine. So she ended up, You know, getting a full ride to Long Beach State and, you know, four-year All-American and still the leading scorer uh, over there and played professionally in Europe um, and then ended up meeting uh, her husband over there, and she lives out in Italy today. So Mm. that's, you know, that's my story. I ended up getting a full ride to Stanford for four years. After that, I went to my second Olympics in Greece I played professionally in Milan or outside of Milan for four years. And then I went to my third Olympics in Beijing where we won the silver medal. And then I played uh, professionally in Croatia, Montenegro, uh, then went to London 2012. And then my last Olympics, I got the luxury of going home and living in Brazil uh, oh, beautiful. before finally playing
0: my last Olympics uh, where I was born in Rio. Mm, How awesome. What a good experience. So your dad, you said you didn't really push it on you, but did you ever feel pressured like either just internally to perform because of the legend that he was in Brazil?
1: No. Um, and you know, I never, my dad was really good at like treating me the same as everyone else. I was never the coach's son Um, he never would talk to me at home about water polo unless I asked. So a fellow was like 14, 15. And all of a sudden I'm like asking questions. Then he's, uh, all of a sudden answering them. Right. He never was one that would say, Hey, I thought you should have done that better. No, 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 no. It was, I was already a hard critic, harsh critic of myself. Mm -hmm. So he knew I needed to. To chill and 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 then I'd go up and ask them the questions. But it's weird, yeah. I I never felt the pressure. I just I just saw a, a a vision, right? I was just so obsessed with getting better, whether it was swimming or strength or shooting or or whatever it was. It was just that's what was on my mind. Um, and then I can remember my first international trip with the Olympic team or the national team. In 1999, before my first Olympics, I I was so bad, and I think that was the first time where I felt I, it, the the mental game got to me because I was used to scoring in high school, and all of a sudden I didn't score, and then I I felt like I couldn't play, and I ended up not even playing at the last couple games of that tournament. And I thought, "There's no way I'm going to the Olympics. This is my first chance." And a year later, and I remember the great Monty Niskowski, one of you know the greatest coaches ever, and he he pulled me a sign. He says, kid, man, you have, you give so much more to our team. Stop worrying about goals. I mean, you mm-hmm. earn five ejections a game. You give three assists to our center. Like you do so much. You, you got to just worry about you and not worry about the result. And, that, and I remember that was, that was the changer for me, right? Mm-hmm. That was, all right. Every game I wanted to be remembered. And And this is something that I still use today where I wanted every practice and every game people to remember me. I wanted them to think that was the toughest player that I ever played against or that played against me. And the next time that we played against each other, they would have nightmares the night before (laughs) (laughs) thinking, Oh my gosh, I have to play this guy again. This is going to be so hard. Um, And then going forward, you know, it's funny. You talk about nerves, like, it, it wasn't until retiring that all this pressure of family and succeeding in life, you know, hit me. <laughs> but when you're, when you're an athlete and you've done something for so long and you train correctly, I mean, everything just comes naturally. Games were easier for me because practice was way harder. A game is 45 mm-hmm. minutes. A practice is five hours. And those five hours mm-hmm. I was so engaged that I'd go home and sometimes have to be force fed because I just wanted to go to sleep. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, the 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 nerve part of it. You're always going to get the nerve butterfly stuff, but as far as really getting pre- feeling the pressure, it really wasn't until, <laughs> until I retired where I was like, man, thank goodness this didn't happen to me when I was playing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh. when did you realize your dad was actually? Pretty special, not just your dad, you know, because um, he is special in the water polo world. When did you kind of realize, like, oh wow, he's actually a badass?
1: Well, look, he he was definitely always my idol. You know, he had so many jobs. We we saw very little of him, but every time we saw him, he's on a national team. He's coaching kids that are idolizing him. Every job he took, he was exceeding expectations, and I could hear it from the fans, from the parents, from the kids. And I knew, I knew he was special. And that's why it was always very easy for me to talk to him because I knew that all he really cared about was, was and he'd always reiterate that, I just love you. I, I, I just want to be able to, to have a beer with you when you're older <laughs> mm-hmm. and make sure you're okay, you know? And so I didn't, it was never a, a time where he came off as like he's, he really wanted me to be good he was just my dad who loved me. And as a coach, he was a coach that you all loved. And, uh, and that just really helped. So the the pressure was never there for me. Um, And then, you know, he was just always that guy on my side that I, that I knew I could count on. And then, and he still is that today.
0: Mm, Awesome. When my daughter was playing, there's a tournament here in, in Albuquerque, and there was a team from Juarez, Mexico, who had a Serbian coach. Somehow, this guy ended up there. And this guy was super intense as a coach. And you could tell the teams were incredible. And we hosted two of the girls at our house from this team. And so I was just, as a coach, you know, I'm like, what is this guy really like? And they were scared of him. You know, they respected him, but were scared. I'm getting the feeling that your dad was respected, but not scared by his players.
1: Yeah, no, there was no fear. It was, and even growing up, I mean, we, we were spanked as, you know, young age, but once I... Palmada, that's what my mom called it, palmada. <laughs> palmada, right. <laughs> uh, but once we got to high school it changed and it became more of, I didn't want to disappoint. And when I did, it was the most devastating thing that could happen. And so Mm. that was the coach that he was and still is. And he just wants you as a player, just want to do whatever you can to be, to make him happy (laughs) because you love him so much. And he talks and he'll yell sometimes. Um, But Deep down, you love him because he just he you know he he has this Brazilian love and you know the moment mm-hmm. in practice ends he may have been on you the whole practice he's going to give you a big hug and talk about something different um, instead of a lot of coaches bring that home with them um, and I think you know it just starts water polo starts to become something else and especially at the younger ages like when you get to the big air big big time and you know athletes they're professional they need to be put in check you can be who you want to be but when you're young you know this whole yelling and screaming to me it's almost a facade sometimes to sh- to prove that you're you're doing what you should be doing yeah. because how often are are do kids really just follow someone screaming blankly at you right especially in the water exactly. where you can't even hear that well <laughs>
0: Just makes the coach feel better, some for some reason.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and I think too. I think times are changing a little bit, right? I I think growing up, and um, I don't know how how old are you?
0: I am forty-four. All
1: right, so I'm thirty-eight. So growing up, I think in our generation, it was it was more a little bit old school, right? Like you you, you would get slapped, <laughs> or could yep. get slapped for yep. doing something wrong. Um, I think, I think kids are different now and they are different now, um, they're motivated different now and you you gotta, you gotta figure out a way to adjust because I, I just, I just see that lack. There's everything's now blamed on the coach as well. It's always someone else's fault. There's no accountability as much as there used to be, um, and that's, that's really tough. And and unta- unless you have that relationship where a coach and a kid, they are, they, they're, they're they open, they understand each other. They're, they're very, uh, I'd say direct as to, Hey, you're good here. You're not that good here. You need to get better at it. And then if your mom comes complaining to me, you know, I'm going to tell her the same thing. Um, mm. that's it. You know, I, one thing actually my dad says, and he said it at this academy as well was, um, if I hear from your mom or dad, then I'm not going to talk to you. Oh. And he said, because next time you ask me, Hey coach, I, you know, I really want to work on this shot. I'll say, okay, yeah, absolutely. I'll go call your mom and tell her how to, how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey coach, I, you know, I, I need stronger legs. You bet it. I'll call your dad and we'll work on that. And it's, it's, it was, I, you know, I thought it was so awesome when he said that, because it's so true. <laughs> We got like a million calls from parents worrying about their kids. And it's like, hey, let them take accountability for themselves. Come talk to us about what your problem is, what you're worried about, what you need to get better. And you, we come up with a solution. And then if it's something bigger, obviously, we're going to bring your parents involved. But now it's almost like parents, coach, parents, coach. It's like, really? He didn't like practice? Like, why didn't he tell me? Or he was getting bullied or or. He feels like he's out of shape. Like I'm the one that should be talking to him that he should be talking to about.
0: Wow. So what are water polo parents like as far as their intensity? Because there's a lot of soccer parents. There's some fantastic laid back ones, but there are some overly intense ones, especially at the younger ages as well. What's water polo environment like with parents?
1: Very intense, very intense. Um, you know, I, I will say football and baseball might be the most intense. And I, I, I think in, and maybe soccer as well, but I think football, I've seen it in firsthand with my son, who's seven years old, football and baseball. There's so many parents who kn- played it and know it so well and are passionate about, you know, the, the professional leagues of it and maybe mm-hmm. didn't amount to what they wanted to uh and that pressure goes straight to the kids and they know when something goes wrong so they can call it out in our sport (laughs) the pairs are just as intense but no less (laughs) you know they're they're screaming swim (laughs) swim like really your kid doesn't know to swim to the other side or or foul foul and it's like don't foul what are you talking about it's so funny But yes, it's, it's, you know, it's again, it's, it's very, very intense. And, and I, I, what I've seen is intensity is not the worst. It's not a bad thing. You know, parents are passionate. My mom was intense to us, to a degree, but never to a point where I felt it, right. She wasn't in, she wasn't yelling at me to do better. She wasn't Or you know, in the stands, you know, worrying about, or you know, you know, chanting for someone else to not hurt me. She just wanted me to to win, you know. So she's chanting for my team, (laughs) and I think there is an intensity. There is a difference between that intensity of like parents are just, you know, come on, let's go, guys, and and you hear them say, "Good block," and "Great job," and and things like that. And I, I really appreciate those parents. Um, and then you see the ones that are really hard on the kids. And unfortunately I, I just see a lot of kids, you know, it, it just becomes a burden because it's like, ugh, like, you know, it, it, I don't want my mom in a game, you know, or I don't want my dad on a game.
0: Wow. I think you said it, Perfectly right there. It becomes a burden. It's something that they once loved and once enjoyed is no longer enjoyable because of the way the parents are responding and reacting.
1: Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, you grew up in soccer, you you, you played the whole life because you love it and you get to the higher level and you already have, or not higher level, but even in high school, you, you have the pressures of going to college and, and, coaches watching you and all of a sudden now you have this added pressure of your mom or your dad on you not supporting you but like telling you you didn't do well that's a lot on a kid man that's a lot you know you we nowadays and i think on the education side for for these kids i mean that it, it's even harder and there's more pressure because more and more kids have more opportunities to study to go to top schools and grades are higher, right? Like to get into some of these schools now, it's like a 4.0. Yeah, yeah, we're right, dude. You got to have like a four or five with this and that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I think that's why we're seeing, you know, a lot of the mental health issues because it's, it, it takes a toll. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, what do you do to help your players who you work with on the mental side of things, not just within the sport? As the sport, but as an athlete
1: um I think just trying to trying to be and, it, and it's hard at first because I'm Tony right and they're like just trying to you know <laughs> you know try kind of scared but just mm-hmm. trying to bring on immediately create this bond between us where listen i'm not I'm not your Um, I'm not your coach. I'm not your mom, your dad. I'm, I'm literally here listening or at a camp teaching you and trying to help you be the best that you can be. So tell me what it is that, um, that you need to work on. And again, a lot of them, they'll say things and it's like, well, that's kind of a cop out because what I believe you're trying to say is, you know, that there's a lot of stress or i I don't have time to train or i I come from outside of Southern California, and i'll never be as good as the kids from Southern california and those are things that mm-hmm. that just aren't true and and giving them you know stories of people who've succeeded and gone to the Olympics from outside and helping them understand you know look ultimately we want you to succeed as a person so let's work on the 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 path now let's start let's think in the now what can you do now to get better and then wake up tomorrow and look in the mirror and say man i look good again today and think about what you need what you can do now to get better and ultimately when you're achieving these little goals and you're pushing yourself every day just to be the best person best player you can be you're going to be successful and whether it's olympic you know water polo player or CEO, CEO of a business, all these little things um, help build ultimately what we want as a successful person, right? Mm-hmm. Putting our kids into sports was not about, even though we may have a little bit of that in our minds, was not about being an NBA champion. It's about mm-hmm. the hardships, the good, the bad, the competition that comes from being an athlete. Um, and learning how to play with other athletes. I always think probably the biggest attribute that I had as a as a player was my leadership qualities, right? I, I took the time to understand what each person needed to get motivated, and it allowed me to interact with each of them differently and motivate all of them at the same time. While I think mm-hmm. I see a lot of times like, oh, I'm not on a good team. Well, what can I do? Well, first off, you know, what can you do to help your team be better, right? Just don't think, oh, I'm so good and everyone's bad, right? There's got to be a way for you to help some players on your team. And then if you really get to those players and motivate them and you guys train so hard every day, then guess what? Everyone's going to look, look up to you guys as the leaders and eventually you will make that team better. And eventually, you'll leave a legacy because other people will say, "This is how we train here at so and so high school," and that's going to help you be successful. Um, so it's just trying to again talk about really it comes down to taking account, you know, taking responsibility for yourself and becoming an adult and working on you every day. Mm.
0: That's awesome. That's good mentorship. So when you made that 2000 Olympic team, how old were you?
1: So I I was 18 years old.
0: Okay. So you're young. One of the younger ones, I imagine, on the team. How did you transition into that? And how did you prove yourself? Because essentially, you're playing against like veterans. So how did you prove yourself? And what kind of mentorship did you receive from the older players um you know
1: I I had a lot of guys again it was water polo is a small community so everyone kind of knows everyone and and what what I was by far the youngest and I think what helped was that I wasn't a part of any clique I was that young player who really went out of his way to kind of be friends with everyone and to ask questions from everyone and to learn from everyone. And our captain was Chris Oding, um, at that time, who's now one of the assistants of the the women's uh, team. And, you know, I, I, I stuck to him as much as I could. I, I really admired him. Um, but I think all those little things helped me, uh, just, really feel at, at home. Obviously, there's the comp- competition level. But again, when you're just going in with a, with a vision of every practice, I'm going to do my best, You, it, it, your mind doesn't have time to drift. It was like, all right, we're, we're scrimmaging. And I have to guard him. And he's my competition Well, I'm going to do whatever I can to crush him. But then we get out of the water. And I'm also the young guy and I, I get it. It's my place. I'm going to do whatever I can to also make them earn their respect, uh, outside of the pool too. And I think you do see that now on a different level where it's like a young guy comes in with an ego because they think they deserve to be treated the same. And I've never been one for bullying makes no sense. Absolutely not. But I think that, you know, you, a lot of the veterans do earn their right, um, to not pick up the caps all the time. Uh, even though the great ones will continue to help. And that's, that's that leadership quality in them. Um, so, yeah, you know, for me, I, I started at young. And, and again, I think I did a good job of being close with everyone. And so I was that easy pick, right? I'm not that young kid that creates problems on a team. I'm that young kid that has a lot of potential that everyone gets along with. And then going to my second Olympics, becoming more of a leader, I was chosen the second captain as the by far the youngest again. And then in you know 2005, on a probably the fourth youngest on that Olympic team, I was the captain. Um, and I think it again, it all went back to there is no cliques, there is no ripping certain people, or you know, there's always going to be people you don't like. But you got to figure out a way in the water to make it work. And I think the taking the time to have a coffee, have a beer, uh, talk shop with everyone really helps you understand better where they're coming from, which helps you better understand how to speak with them.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you were the veteran now and there are younger players coming in, were there any cocky players you kind of had to put in their place, so to speak? Mm-hmm.
1: Hundred uh, percent. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have some good stories to tell. us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will keep those mum. Uh, but you know, it, again, like the the my approach in the water was different. You put them in place, but out of the water, again, it was it was explaining. Uh, there were there were guys on that team that that had my photo, that my uh, poster on their wall. So. Oh you know, there, there made no sense when, when things went wrong, it was, it was, again, it was like, all right, I, I really respect him. Um, and even if I got mad at someone outside of the water, the moment, the moment after they knew, okay, we're good. Um, I, but I should change. So, I mean, that was my approach. Just try and just try and understand every one of them and, and help them talk about what helped me as a kid, talk about things that, Uh, I see and let them make their own, their own journey, right? They're all, everyone's different, but as long as they feel supported, that's going to be the
0: best for the team. Mm. That's awesome. What's the biggest difference between playing at the national level, as far as, you know, college or any kind of, you know, next level after college within the U S versus playing international.
1: Um, I mean, the physicality and the quickness are the two biggest things internationally, right here in the States, we're fast. You, everyone can shoot the ball. Well, um, but we're not the smartest and (laughs) you get to international play and it's like, oh my gosh, that ball just went to that player. Right. A lot of kids here are joystick. their coaches just tell them plays of after play after play, and so the game doesn't come naturally to them while internationally you just do things and your vision goes to things because that's that's how you that's how it should be right and that's one of the reasons we got into virtual reality because ultimately it's the way you see certain situa- situations situations is because you've seen it so many times. That's why you react. And so what we're able to do is show a kid, look, when you have the ball at the four spot, this is what you should be looking at in a two, three, four zone. Don't don't look <laughs> at the wing, which a lot of them do. You know, first goalie, then center, then look for the left hand or, right there, or the, the the two spot. So there's a lot of uh, just mental parts that at the international level, it's like, wow. And then the physicality, man. They're just so much stronger and better over their legs. I think leg strength is the biggest weakness in our country. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you get in there, it's like they know how to just punch you or hurt you <laughs> or or just foul you a little bit harder than everyone else. <laughs>
0: Yeah. What was, or how did you prove yourself when you pl- went to Italy from Stanford as a professional for the first time?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, one of the interesting parts was I, I can remember my first year, I had to come halfway through the season and I was, uh, I took the team, which was in like seventh place to fifth place, um, uh, which is huge. Cause you make like len trophy right which is like not champions league but maybe the what's the other one called
0: your the europa League. that's right
1: so like the second division of champions and i finished that season i had a two-year contract and immediately after that year the the manager told me to i'm done leave he doesn't want to renew my contract and i'm sitting here thinking to myself this team got two positions better i played literally some of the best water polo but what our team needed was not a score. We needed someone to kind of help with the assist with defending with setting and earning ejection. So that's what I did. And we got so much better. And so I went home and I was devastated because I'm thinking, what is my future like? Like I always wanted to go overseas and now it's done. And then all of a sudden I get a call back saying, I apologize. I'd like you back on our team. And I, Oh, wow. I asked why, you know, <laughs> why why do you want me back, and why should I come back? And he goes, because the coach and the captain and the rest of the team said they'd leave without you. Oh wow! And I can remember that was probably the biggest respect that I ever had um, when people put their their salaries on the line for me um, because they knew they knew what I did for the team. Wow,
0: I guess you proved yourself then. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, you know, and and then I came back the next year and, and played a little less defense and shot a little more and all of a sudden got a lot of contracts <laughs> and, uh, and then the story, you know, from there. So definitely you got to, you know, and I'm sure it's like that anywhere. I'm that American. I'm sure it's like that in soccer, right? I, I'm that American. I'm good, but I'm always that American. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden I get out there and they're like, well, damn, he's he is good. And then I become the leading scorer, which no American has ever done in the Italian league. And then it becomes, okay, okay, now he's definitely one of us. And all of a sudden, that hard foul becomes an ejection. Uh, the referees respect me. And now I, I, I learned their language, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. gives me a little more respect. And so those, those are the slow ways uh, that I started earning respect from the European aspect.
0: How oh, cool. So for people who don't know water polo very well, what are the different positions? How many players are there on the field?
1: So there's six, uh, field players, one goalie. Um, so seven in the water at the same time, there's a goalkeeper, there's a center like in basketball, there's a defender who guards the center. So that's our difference. Uh, the centers don't guard each other The defender. And then you have the left side attackers and the right side attackers. So, Think of basketball, the exact same, um, except our uh, center. There's also a defender that guards him, mm.
0: and that's the person getting drowned pretty much the whole game.
1: That's that's the hardest position. But <laughs> if, if I talk to my centers, I tell them, "No, that was easy position." But
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did it. Did you learn to shoot with both arms, or were you one? obviously you're going to be one more dominant than the other, but is that a thing? Cause that is the thing in soccer is you should learn to shoot with your weaker foot just as equally.
1: Yeah. So in water polo, it's not, and it's a misconception because a lot of people think, and it makes sense. Like, wow, my kid can shoot equally with both arms. Um, but what it does is a, you're basically shooting half, you're practicing half of what someone else is practicing. um, so if you're taking a hundred, if one, a right hander's taking a hundred shots, now you're taking only 50. That guy's going to be a better shooter with his right arm than you are with your right and left. Um, right. but the other thing is that the positioning in our sport to shoot, you have to have your left, if you're a right-hander, your left shoulder pointed toward the goal, right? So that when you shoot like in baseball, you have to use your whole entire body to follow through. Um, well, when you use both hands, they tend to open up, and now you're just using your arms, so it actually messes up their technique. So hmm. you, you would never see a baseball pitcher be, you know, ambidextrous, right? Maybe they are, but they're not really throwing hundo with their left and then hundo with <laughs> right, right? You're not seeing yeah. that. So it's similar. Now, I will say if you're a center, meaning you shoot mostly from the inside, it definitely, that, that's an advantage to be equal both hands um, as much as you can. And I always was taught that as long as you could shoot a, inside the four meters with your opposite hand, then you're fine, because that means you can pass with it, you can, you know, sh- you know, shoot in certain situations. But definitely being ambidextrous and shooting from outside is, is a disadvantage, if, it, if anything.
0: Hmm, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, but it, t- it makes total sense, you know. Um, just very similar to basketball. A lot of basketball players can lay it up with their weaker hand, but they don't take three point shots with their weaker. hand. That's right.
1: Cause it just, cause the yeah. techniques is so important that to have that on both ends is, is crazy.
0: Yeah, man. I could talk to you all day about the, the little intricacies of about water polo. Uh, but I do want to move on to my lightning round questions okay. I have for you. So feel free to answer as quickly or as slowly As you want. Uh, What is your favorite beach in Rio? Uh, Lemmy. Hmm. Good one. Yeah. Nice. What about in Southern California? Um, Seal Beach. Where is Seal Beach? So
1: I'm from Long Beach. It's right next to us on the left going into Huntington Beach.
0: Mm, Okay, cool. Who is your favorite Brazilian soccer player ever? Pele. That's That's easy, easy. of course. Yeah. (laughs) What about your favorite Brazilian club team? Flamengo. Nice, nice, perfect. Me and my family as well. And what 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 water polo player did you look up to the most when you were growing up?
1: Manuel Ciardi, the six time Olympian from Spain.
0: Mm. What do
1: you like about his game? He was short (laughs) he he was short but he was extremely smart um and fun to watch and i i idolized him
0: awesome and i imagine you emulated your game from his game i did
1: many of my fakes come from his fakes
0: oh nice did you ever get a chance to meet him
1: i did i did i've met him a good amount and now he is he's in the soccer he's the uh he works with pep guardiola
0: Oh no way! Yeah, wow, wow. In Manchester, then. That's right. Wow, what does he do for Pep?
1: So he started at Barcelona with them, and then went to I think Bayern, right, and then to Manchester City. So he's like, he does, he like he helps the athletes learn how to play with each other. It's I don't really know, but you should, but look him up because he's extremely interesting, and Pep doesn't go anywhere without him. Um, And I know a lot of the decisions on who he, who, which app players that he chooses to play like on the team, mental has a big part of
0: it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to look him up for sure. Wow. Fascinating. And he's water polo into soccer. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So in a game, have you ever thought like, I'm just going to drown this guy right now? No. Hmm.
1: No. It was always. I'm going to score on this guy if I'm super pissed mm. or I'm going to mm. get him ejected, but no. Mm.
0: So you stay disciplined. Then. That's right. Yeah. How many calories would you typically eat in a day during your, your playing days? Oof. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean a lot, but again, there was that those periods where I couldn't get enough into my body. Cause we were training nine hours a day. Um, wow. But I, you know, I, I don't count calories so i have no idea but I'm, i was eating an absolute shit ton
0: non-stop huh? yeah <laughs> so if you never played water polo what sport would you have wanted to excel in baseball Hmm. Baseball, nice for
1: sure third baseman third baseman big hitter that that's me
0: nice so you could smash the ball a bit huh <laughs> well at least uh,
1: i can say that now
0: so did your grandfather i imagine had influence on your baseball liking
1: uh no you know he he passed away when i was young but my my mom she was i would sit outside just throw the ball back and forth with her you know every day
0: oh awesome so what would you be doing professionally if you weren't in the sports field chef
1: running a restaurant Mm. maybe I'm uh, mm. obsessed with food, so um, I definitely see myself. I would be creative in in that sense.
0: Nice. Any specific type of food?
1: Um, I mean, def farm to table, uh, but probably mm. with an Italian influence. I, I love love Italian food.
0: Mm. Any Brazilian in there?
1: I could throw some Brazilian in there, but you know. I think- <laughs> You, you, you start a time, you can always add in a little Brazilito here or there, you
0: know? <laughs> of course. Yeah, I made my first muqueca. Have you ever had muqueca yeah. from Brazil? Yeah. Oh, man. It actually turned out okay. I was pretty surprised, but um, you We're know, it's just following a recipe. That's tough. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. So, <laughs> um, and of course, black beans and rice is just like, you have to have it. My son is obsessed with Black beans and rice yeah. and vinaigrette. Those, those three. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. So, last question here: What kind of advice for parents who are raising athletes today do you have?
1: You know, I'd say be supportive as you be as supportive as you can, as positive as you can. Um, but at the same time, try and understand a little bit about the sport and and. And don't worry about the results until they're older. And I think when you do that, you're going to find that you're going to find yourself working on the little things that you should be working on instead of trying to just get them to score goals or, you know, getting frustrated because they're not winning a game, right? If your kid is eight years old on a football team and he sucks, don't put him on another football team. Be supportive and maybe work on just catching with them. And then he gets older and work on running with them. And the next thing you know, the kid loves football and you don't have to worry about anything because he's self-motivated waking up at 5am to be the next Tom Brady.
0: Mm. Awesome. It's fantastic advice. Tony, thanks so much for your time today. Best wishes to you and your family and especially to get your kids back in the pool as well.
1: That's right. Well, thank you, Gabe. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure.
0: So what were your biggest takeaways? For me, the most powerful one was to hear when Tony said that his dad never talked about water polo at home unless his kids asked. Now keep in mind, his dad was a legendary coach, legendary water polo player in Brazil, played for the Brazilian national team, and was not at all pushy in Tony's career from what Tony said. Now how many times have you as a parent... Been upset about the way your child was performing in whatever sport they were playing, and then just felt the need to say something on the ride home to give your evaluation of how they performed. And I know it's tough as a parent to bite your lip sometimes, and we all want our children to succeed. Of course, we do. We have to think about are we helping things or are we hurting things? Because essentially, It's a parent's job simply to keep their child loving what they're doing. And so much of what they can do sometimes can make the child not love what they're doing and not like what they're doing and then not want to do what they're doing anymore. Remember, a parent's job is just there to support and to love unconditionally. And when your child comes to you with questions, that's the time to open up. Not to just give your two cents. Whenever you feel frustrated or you want your child to do more and to succeed more and to excel more. Of course, we all want our children to succeed and to excel. That's absolutely okay. But again, how are you going about it? Are you giving your two cents or are you allowing the coach to do that or someone else to do that or waiting for your child to come to you and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what do you think about that? Remember, this is their journey You're just along for the ride. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Tony. I'm going to put a link to his website, TonyAzevedo.com, in the show notes, and you can check out a little bit more about him and also the app that he created. It's absolutely amazing technology and what he's doing to help youth water polo players. Now, I created a program I want to let you know about. It's called the Player Empowerment Program. This program is designed to help Athletes excel in any sport that they're participating in. It's best for athletes that are 13 years and older. And it's a holistic program designed to touch on every pillar of sports the technical, tactical, psychological, and physical. And we spend a lot of time on the psychological part to help build that quote unquote mental toughness. But it's all based on the work that I do as a transformative life coach. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website, aclearmind.com. There's also going to be a link in the show notes to the Player Empowerment Program. And if you join our Clarity for Parents of Athletes Facebook group page, you can get a special discount code to receive a little discount uh, for the program for your athlete. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I really ask that you rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. That way more people can know about it and you don't miss any episodes. All right. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I'm here for you. If you want to reach out to me, Gabe at aclearmind.com. And as always, much love to you and many blessings.